Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us together here to worship you on this Christ the King Sunday. We are just so thankful that you, God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the King of Kings and Lord and Lords is sitting on the throne and ruling this universe and ruling this earth and, and in charge of this country, dear Lord. We just, and we thank you that we can gather together here to worship you. And I just pray that you will be with each and every one of us throughout this service. Lord, may we give you all the honor, praise, and glory to your name. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help me, Lord, to deliver this message and to make it much, much more than I can possibly bring. And um, I just pray you will give us ears and eyes and hearts, you know, to see here. And receive the word that you have for us in the Holy Eucharist, in the scripture that we've read, the songs and the hymns that we sing, the prayers that we pray, and your preached word, dear Lord. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning. It is nice to be with you, and it is nice for me. There are some of you that... I do not know, and you do not know me. So the people who know me, you guys can uh, you know, look through the announcements or something while I just briefly tell some of the, the others. And who, uh, Now that uh, St. Jude's and St. David's are one church, and for me it is a blessing to have all of you here and to have a lot more people here than we've had before. So that is just a true blessing. And... It's great that, you know, and hopefully we're coming together as one, as one church. Well, I'm Steve Kennedy. I have been a priest here at St. David's since July of 20, 2009, when I was ordained at St. David's. Um, I am um, blessed to serve here. I sometimes also supply priest at a small church called Christ Our Savior in Torrance. Um, I work, as I always have, for my income at, in accounting and finance. I am the chief financial officer at Los Angeles Mission in downtown L.A., where we provide hope, help, and opportunity to men, women, and children in need. We serve the poor, the homeless, the uh, people who are, many of them come to us with drug, alcohol, addictions in their past, some mental health issues, and I've been there Coming up on it will be 11 years, uh, coming March of uh, the next year. And it's been a real blessing. It was not what I, what I had in mind when I left New York City uh, in 2002 to go to seminary. I had gotten rid of all my accounting books and did not think I was going to be doing that again. And like I like to tell people, and I finished seminary and I was just kind of, doing stuff at St. David's, and then I finally woke up and said I do not have any money. Um, I, uh, I need to get some income. So I went to the uh, Robert Half, which places accountants, and uh, said I need, I, need, uh, I need a temporary job. And that's what I was looking for. And, oh, yeah, yeah, you've worked in, I worked in higher education in New York. And they said, oh yeah, we don't have many nonprofit people. You know, we'll get you some pretty soon. Three weeks go by, I don't even hear from them. 
And so that particular week, I called him every single day. And then finally Thursday, the recruiter goes, I think I have something for you. And it was at Los Angeles Mission. And it's just been a, a great marriage of my interests and skills in business, finance, uh, accounting, and then you know ministry. So it's been a blessing. While I don't do a lot of the direct ministry, you know, I support what goes on, and a lot of I'm responsible for you know the finances, human resources, operations, things like that, um, and, and people who who work on on those particular things. And then I, as I said, I lived in New York for 12 years. That's where I came to know Jesus Christ. God brought me there. I grew up in. Wisconsin in the Midwest, so I don't want to hear anybody talk about if it's cold outside today or tonight. <laughs> now, I try to eliminate that so that when I speak with my sister or my father back in Wisconsin, they don't uh, get mad at me. If I say that it's cold here, it's always, it's cool. It's cool for us here. So, um, I, that's, a, that's, that's it. We'll get on with the sermon. But that's just a little bit, and I look forward to getting to know those of you that, whom I do not know. And for those whom I, I do know, um, I'm back again. Sorry. <laughs> so, that's the way it goes. Well, let's move on. Well, then again, maybe, it's, maybe I should stay where I'm at, because I'm going to go to today's world. Um, everything going great? In our, in our country, you know, in the, in the world, not exactly a place of peace. Um, certainly, well, we're not even two weeks, you know, after the election, and uh, there's people who are not happy with the results, or people who wouldn't have been happy no matter who was chosen, um, and, and Donald Trump will be the most unpopular person to assume the White House, and for those of you saying, yeah, that's right, well, uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton would have been the same way, would have been the most unpopular person to ever assume uh, the White House. And it's, uh, and then, you know, so there's divides, you know, throughout our nation, people are, are protesting, you know, this man going into office, you have the press, a lot of the press doing what they what they do, and they're just kind of stirring up, uh, you know, the, the trouble. Although they need to look in the mirror because they helped put this guy in office. Um, they built him up a little bit, and uh, could have could have let the stuff out that might have sunk him, you know, a year ago. But they didn't do that. Let's go in the church. Let's go in. The, I'll save you know anything to say bad about the Democrats and the candidate they put up that could have you know made things different too. I guess I won't say, but I just said it. Um, <laughs> uh, I better give the disclaimer. I didn't do it. I did not vote for either of them, but whether that was a good decision or not, I don't know. Um, that's just what I felt called to do. Um, and I, I won't stay on this for forever. But you go in the church, and there's divides there too. And you go with pastors. Um, I'll start with, and he's, he's a, a favorite of mine, he's Jim Wallace, and he's head of Sojourner's Truth, he's an evangelical Christian, but he is of the left uh, political, he's a, more liberal in his, in his politics and, and you know, is definitely you know, very concerned about um, you know, social and economic and 
justice issues and, and racial issues. And, and he writes uh, two days ago, it's 10 commitments of resistance in the Trump era. I know many of you are still reeling from last week's election results. When Sojourners put out the call for you to tell us your post-election stories, we found ourselves tapping into a deep well of lament. Your stunning reader stories put on display the real feelings of people across the, the country. And I'm gonna, he goes on in his first one, we will go deeper in faith. Our times require a moral compass. We must replace certainty with reflection. Go from simply belief to actual practice. Seek both courage and humility. Read, study, and live the words of Jesus. So that, that's a view, and there, there are views people are not happy, and pastors and Christians are not happy that, that uh, Donald Trump is the president-elect. Well, now let's move over to the right side. There's a senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. His name is Robert Jeffries. If you watch Fox News, you've probably seen him on different shows the past year or more. And he's been a Trump supporter. And he even earlier in 2016 had said that he criticized Christians who were opposed uh, to Trump, um, calling them weak and too proud because they can't get over the fact that their candidate didn't win in the Republican primary. And then there's a gentleman by the name of Russell Moore, and he's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Religious Liberty Commission. And he voiced strong opinions opposing Trump during the campaign. And he responded to Trump's win and agreed that Christians need to pray for the president-elect. He warned, however, that conservative evangelicals in America remain politically homeless, whether they know it or not. We will pledge allegiance to the flag, but we will pledge a higher allegiance to the cross. We can pray and honor our leaders, work with them when we can, while preparing to oppose them when needed. We do not need the influence that comes from being a political bloc. We have more than influence, we have power. The power that comes through the weakness of the crucified Jesus Christ, he added. Our rallying cry is not hail to the chief, but Jesus is Lord. Perhaps this electoral shakeup means that President Trump will lead America to be great again. I hope so, but regardless of whatever happens to America, we must seek the kingdom first. Amen. And I do that to just kind of, you know, if we're looking to us human beings for the answer, the, the answer above all, we're, we're mis, misplaced. And it was the same for Paul in his, in his time. He writes... To the Colossians, the, the epistle that we read. And during those times, he writes in about maybe 60 AD. And he actually writes, he's in prison. Um, and one of the things that's in his letter later is he's, he is very concerned that the Christians do not relapse into the pagan ways of the world in their thinking and in their acting. And... Uh, and that also he did not want them to accept heretical teaching. And we have that in our day. And, and also, too, there's stuff that I can't, you know, I can't figure out. And maybe I'm not you know, thinking and doing what Jesus would have me to do in particular uh, situations. But as we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, we know in God's economy and in God's kingdom... Jesus Christ is on the throne. We have earthly leaders all over the world. No matter how powerful they are, 
They are, sec- are, are second in command. And no matter how it looks, God is large and in charge. And one day when Jesus comes again, he is going to make things right. And as he promised that he is going to come again. And then God's kingdom will come in in all of his greatness and his glory and his power. But God's kingdom is here. And God's kingdom, one of the places God's kingdom is, is in our hearts. And as we we look around, and we are to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are to be citizens of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. We're Americans, yes. Maybe there's some others who are citizens of another country, but first and foremost, we are Christians. We are believers in Jesus Christ. And no matter what goes on, has gone on in the past, what goes on now, and what goes on in the future. Nothing can change that, no matter what we go through. And actually, there's talk about unity. The thing that's going, the most unifying thing is, is Jesus Christ. And it is our job to carry on the cause of Christ. And as we go to today's gospel, we actually... We see Jesus in what appears to be the weakest moment imaginable for a human being. He's hanging on the cross, and he's between two criminals on the right or the left. And it was the most humiliating death imaginable in that time. And even, you know, any time. But... That was part of God's plan for Jesus to more fully assume his throne. And we have the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. They're throwing out words like, although they're doing it, they're mocking him. If you are God's Messiah, the chosen one, or if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. Well, they had, they didn't. They were just throwing these things out, but they did have it right. He was the Messiah. He was the king of the Jews. And he can save you. I mean, he can save us. When he said, save yourself and us, that was actually one of the criminals. Yeah, he can save you, the criminals. But he can, God's plan was for him to save the world from sin. And after our reading, a few hours later, Jesus dies on the cross. And as he was about to breathe his last breath, the curtain or the veil in the sanctuary was torn in two. It was split down the middle. And when that happened, the dividing line between God's presence and human beings was torn down. If you remember, in the sanctuary there was a place called the Holy of Holies. That is where God's presence dwelt on earth amongst men. That's, and it was a place that nobody went into during the year other than the high priest once a year. And then the rest of the temple is where the people were. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, bridged that gap and allowed human beings to access to God the Father. And He died for our sins, and we were made righteous 
because of what Christ has done, has done. And all we have to do is believe. And really, that's where Jesus' reign as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords you know, truly began. Yes, it began. God, the kingdom came in. Um, and I think in, in a, certainly in Mark's Gospel, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, the kingdom of God is near. Those are the first things he said. Yeah, they were near in the person of Jesus. But now by dying for our sin on the cross, by rising from the dead, conquering death and the grave, and then 40 years, 40 days, 40 days, 40 days later, ascending to the right hand of God the Heavenly Father, and then 10 days after that, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ came down from heaven to live in human hearts. And that's really where Jesus was just a man. He could only go so many places. Now with the Holy Spirit, he's everywhere. Wherever people believing in him are. And then, you know, God is acting and working in the world in spite of what we may see. And it is this on this Sunday in particular that we celebrate King Jesus. And this King Jesus changes everything in human lives and in the world. And now I want to go to Colossians. And I'm actually going to kind of work backwards because I want to continue on that theme of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, Paul makes large statements about Jesus' kingly pedigree. And also, there are some of these words, and I'll highlight them, kind of draw you back to the uh, first chapter, the beginning uh, verses in the Gospel of John. And in verse 15, Paul says that Christ is the living image of the invisible God. He says he's the image of the invisible God. And he's visible to human beings. And as John said, I believe in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has seen God. Only the Son of God who reveals God to us. And God wanted and, ha and put all his fullness in this human being Jesus for human beings to see and for us to continue you know, to see and to read and, and to have in our hearts you know, to this day through God's holy word. And Paul goes on to say that, that Jesus was the firstborn of humanity over all creation. Before Christ was human, he existed as God. And the first verse in John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Paul goes on to say, For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, through him and for him. In John verse one, uh, verse 3 chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then Paul goes on to say, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John, the second verse of chapter 1. He, the word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. Christ is God, and he is the image of God. And Christ was with God in the beginning when the world was created. And he is the one that continues to hold things together in this world. He is Jesus Christ, 
the king. And this Jesus is also the head of the church, Paul goes on to say. He is the beginning of the church, and the church being that global community of Christians. And Christ, Jesus Christ, is the basis of the church life, the church's life. He's the basis of our life. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first human to rise from the dead. And he is first place over everything. And he conquered sin and death for us. And it was also through Christ and what he did, who he was, that he reconciled us to God. He reconciled all things in his own person. And he made peace with God for us by the blood of his cross, whether on earth or in heaven. He made it possible for God's sinful people. Our Bible prior to, to Jesus, what do we have, 20, I don't know, 20 centuries worth almost of things written? It's not the story of an obedient people. There, are, there were obedient people, but there's a lot of disobedience. And God again and again and again and again, a gracious, merciful, patient God, a God who gave it all. He gave his only begotten son to restore the human beings whom he created in God, God's image for the relationship that he wanted to have with us. And, and this Jesus was God in the flesh. He didn't sin, and he had all of God's attributes and powers in his person of Jesus. And he gave up a lot of those powers while he was on this earth because he perfectly followed God's plan. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that he did. Because as far as holding things together, I don't know where you I don't know where all of you have been, but for me, life has been a whole things have been held together a whole lot better after Jesus Christ coming into my heart and me believing in, in Jesus and, and trying to live for him and, and put him in, uh, in first place than it, was, than it was before. And Paul, and we have this, it, it, this Christ the King reminds us that Jesus, and we celebrate that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And since he is, and since he's so powerful, and he's the one who gives us the tr true life with God. Paul tells us there's a way we're supposed to respond. And we are to respond by putting Christ first in our lives. That's what his message to the Colossian Christians were in the first century. And it's what his message continues to be. In the, church of the church of believers in Jesus is to put Christ above everything else. And Colossians 1 should be sweet music to our ears. It was in Paul's time and it is today. And Paul, as he does, and sometimes you know, he gets, uh, he's, he, he'll go off and scold the people um, you know, and try to bring them back. Um, 
you know, to their faith in Jesus Christ. But he begins his letters so beautifully, and then he ends them so well. But as he does, you know, in, in this letter, you know, he starts off with grace to you and peace from God our Father. And that message of peace, I mean, there's, there's an external peace, but there's that peace that's in our heart. And that's one of the greatest gifts in the world. And, and the grace that Jesus Christ and, and God have extended to us are just so soothing to hear. And then Paul goes on with he and Timothy, his associate, or his you know, second in, in command. He says that they, he always thanks God when they pray for the Colossian Christians. And they've heard about their faith in Christ and that the love that they have for each other. And then Paul calls them saints, they're believers, they're loyal followers of Christ. And what a great message. And it's also something that's important for us. We're here with other, other saints. And this is an example for us and something Paul wants us to do. That to pray and to give thanks for other believers in Christ. And we need each other. So that we can, that we can stay. Because there are things competing that are going to take us away from Christ. And what's amazing, you know, Paul writes this great letter. As I said, he's in prison. He's either in Ephesus, Rome, or Caesarea. And then he says in verse 9 that he does not stop praying for the Colossian saints. And he prays great things for them. And these are prayers for us as well. And Paul asks God that you may be filled, you Colossian Christians and, and us today, with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that understanding is another word called discernment that, that we use. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this prayer is important in Paul's time so that the believers in Jesus are not persuaded or tempted by false teaching and human precepts and doctrine that come from unspiritual minds in Colossae, as they do today. There's unspiritual things that come from this mind. And I'm reminded, of, I especially was reminded of, of that, or also distractions, things that, that keep me away from doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like preparing a sermon. Um, was a, I work a lot, right, Michelle, a little bit? Okay. That's what accountants do. One of my closest friends during college, he and his wife were accountants, and when they had their first children, they said, my kids are never going to be accountants. I'm going to tell them, don't do that. All they got to do is work overtime, overtime. And where that gets in the way is I'm pretty tired when I wake up yesterday. And then all of a sudden I go, let's just see how my University of Wisconsin football team's doing. <laughs> and, and then, you know, there's all kinds, you know, with TV, there's all kinds of games. You've got Michigan, Ohio State, and actually they're, they might lose, which is even better. But <laughs> they didn't. Um, and it was, you know, I'm trying to work. Sorry, Brian. I did want to tease Alex Fallow, who's not here, but uh, he's at the Rams game, but I won't do that. Um, the, but was, you know, during the day, I was just so distracted, not just with that, and it was like, and it, but it wasn't until I plugged in the worship music, and the great church that I went to in New York, Times Square Church, has fantastic worship music, 
and that is what kind of got me the focus that I needed. And, you know, did that into the evening, and uh, thankfully uh, I'm here. Otherwise, I'd still be at home trying to put together a sermon. Um, but yeah, we can, but we, we just, Christ has got to be first in our, in our lives. And we need to be filled with that knowledge and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that knowledge, Paul prays for that, not so that they could just be smart. Not to say that knowledge isn't important. I've spent a number of years in, uh, in Sewell, but, and I've spent time at, at seminary too. But knowledge is only one part of, the, okay, the, of what's needed. We need to put this knowledge into practice. This knowledge needs to permeate our hearts. And we can have head knowledge, but we, we also need God to work on our hearts. And we also, you know, the heart could be good. And, oh, I'm going to be praying for you, sister. I'm going to pray for you, sister. Well, can you, uh, can you take me somewhere I need to go? Or, you know, I, I can't, I don't have enough money to, to do this. No, 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 I'll, I'll be praying for you. I'm not saying you always need to do that, but we've got to have our faith and action, and they need to go together. They go hand, hand in hand. And Paul wants this so that first, or so that they would leave these Christians, and we Christians today would leave a life worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to Him. And this knowledge, spiritual wisdom, discernment, God's help are needed so that we can walk, live, and behave in ways that please God and give Him glory and honor. And then Paul goes on to list four traits after saying these things that he believes should be present in the believer in Jesus Christ. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. But these are four good things that should be present. One, bearing fruit in every good work. Secondly, growing in the knowledge of God. Allowing and relying on God to reveal himself. We need to do our part to know God by spending time with God every day. By just listening to God. By not working ourselves too much. By not spending too much time on entertainment, on recreation, what have you. We need these things. You know, we're human beings. But we also we need to give God the time that he, that he wants and that he demands and that is best for us. And then another mark is when we have Christ and the Holy Spirit that we're strengthened with God's glorious and mighty power for all endurance and patience with joy. And the Greek, the noun and the verb from like deutimus are the same, the same root. And I think that really heightens the level of power that Paul is praying for Christians, Colossian believers and Christian believers. And that particular, that particular verse where it talks about for all strengthened with all might, verse 11, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. This joy, it can be hard to experience or to feel joy when situations and circumstances are difficult. Well, Paul certainly knows that. 
He was beaten, he was flogged, he was imprisoned, and he's in prison right now. And he's writing this. Well, he endured all of that for the sake of the gospel and the call that he had. And all of us in life are going to go through difficult times. And some of you out here are going through very difficult times right now. But we need the power of God, and the power of God will help us to endure and give us patience to go through that. And sometimes the circumstances will never change. But joy can remain. And sometimes when things are going great, do, we, do you have, do I have, God's peace and God's joy? Because if you don't have that, the rest of that's hollow. I had that in, you know, through my, in my 20s. You know, I might go out, have a really good time, but often I just would feel empty. When I came home, I didn't have Jesus. I went to church. I think I was, I'd come back to going to church, but I didn't have the peace and the joy of Christ. And that's having Christ is what makes all the difference. And then finally Paul says, give thanks to God the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. And I'm just going to expand that, that inheritance that's awaiting for us. It's, it's life with Christ now. And it's also that inheritance is to be part of the kingdom of God. Because that light, I put in there, is the kingdom of light. Which is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. No matter how dark the world is. And then he goes on because we were rescued. Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin, released from the bondage of sin. Our sins are forgiven when we call on the name of Jesus Christ. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. We just have to have faith and believe. And we don't have to live in the darkness. We don't have to be dragged down by the darkness that we may see in our world that may be in our lives. And all of us, well, I'll just, I'll speak for myself. Um, there's still, there's dark places, there's, there's places in my life that are not focused on God the way that they need to be. And I was reminded um, this past uh, Friday, I had to go to small claims court to rep. Don't worry, it wasn't you know for me personally. Um, I think it's important to get that out there, um, so that if somebody nods off after that, oh yeah, he was in small claims court. This guy preached to us today. Um, I went there to represent the mission. Well, we have sometimes you know we might have a a few disgruntled guests every day. Um, <laughs> So I go to small claims court, and I don't like going to small claims court, especially when I am busy and I have a sermon to do. i got to get my work done so I can go. You know you know this guy. I don't want to go here. This is a pointless suit. You know, and so at first I'm hoping the person doesn't show up, then I can get out of here. The court is packed, and, but the person's there. And so... What they do is they want you to, the person had sued for $10,000. He claims he wouldn't let us sleep. 
um, you know, in our place, and we banned him from, from going in, which I had no record, we didn't have any record of that, of having done that. Um, we didn't do all, later on afterwards, I found out there may have been a few things we didn't do well, or somebody didn't, you know, made some mistakes in what they said, so this person never, never returned. Well, the first thing they had you do is mediate. Well, I am definitely not wearing my police, priestly robes, collar, and this mind is not thinking about that. I am thinking about, you know, I've got to get my, anything I say, got to be legally careful, and I'm not looking at there's another person there who needs ministry. And thankfully, there was a great young lady who was the mediator. And so, I mean, I don't know all what happened. So, I mean, I'm going to apologize, you know, that you were disrespected. And I did apologize, but I can't just say, I don't know what all this stuff happened. So the lady pulls me aside. You know, listen, can you just apologize fully? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm going to only, you know, going to say this. So... We go back, and things were just like totally different. The person, you know, so we started talking, and you know, and he ended up. We ended up with a settlement, and because I had said from the beginning, you can come to our place tonight. So that was one of the things I had. There's a few things I agreed that I would do. One, I'll get you a bed, and he came, and it was just a great experience with him. And I prayed for him, you know, a few times after that. And he was a nice man, at, you know, at first. I go, this, this is like a nice guy. <laughs> then, you know, they, we start, we get starting wrapped up in it. But my heart was not, my heart wasn't there. My head and my, my mind were there, but not my heart. And it was a great reminder that, you know, you've got to always be looking for who has God put in front of you to minister to? And it's not just the people that we, we love. Jesus says, love our enemies. And so, and it's only through God's power that he can, he can do this. And I'm sure, yeah, I will need to be continually reminding myself, you know, of this. And, and I'm hopeful, and we're also, I was able to introduce him to the fellow who's going to try to help him get regular housing, not just not just our place. So it was really a transform. It was a very excellent experience for me, you know, to go through and a, and a healthy reminder. And and I, I say that because that's part of walking. We know with our mind what we're supposed to do, but actually doing it and actually, you know, being it. And then also we've just got to continue. We need God's word. We need his Holy Spirit to work on this heart, to drive out hard places. And I got, you know, there's all of us. We go through frustrations. And, oh, I'm not being treated right. And, and all that. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ can make things right. And in this nation, like in our community, more of Jesus is what's going to improve things. We are, you know, God has put us in charge of, you know, this world. He's given us I mean, he's ultimately in charge, but he has delegated a lot of responsibility to us. And we Christians need to do our part, and we need to show Jesus Christ in, in who we are, in our conduct, our conversation, and our character. And that's one of the things Paul is telling us in these, in these verses in Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to leave you with and it's a question that, that I need, you know, I'm posing to myself and to all of you. How much 
are the Christ, are the traits of bearing fruit in every good work, growing in your knowledge of God, having and accessing and calling upon God for the, the mighty for his power to help you endure and be patient in your circumstances with joy. And how much thanks are you giving? Because those are four important things for us to do. And it will make our individual lives, the lives of others, and the lives of our community much better the more we Christians display those. Amen.